Hi, my name's Silas, aka Silector. I was born and raised in East Oxford, which I'm very proud of. Since I left Oxford, however, I've battled with my identity as an Oxfordian, after having to tirelessly enlighten people about the alternative Oxford that isn't represented in popular media. People just don't seem to know the Oxford I know and love. Students of Oxford and Brooks University make up only around about 20% of the population, yet seem to contribute more to the stereotype of a young Oxfordian than the other 80% of the population. In fact, the Oxford I see boasts the third highest ethnic minority population in South East England. The neighbourhoods in Oxford I'm most familiar with are amongst the 20% most deprived in England, where one in four children live below the poverty line and 22% of adults have little or no educational qualifications. The podcast has taken a short hiatus over the past few months, however I'm happy to say it's finally back. Over the past few months I've become fascinated by the concept of third culture kids. As of this, I thought it would be great to get someone who wasn't born in the UK, however spent the majority of their years growing up in Oxford. Even better yet, how about that person then left Oxford, studied, travelled some more, then came back to Oxford to embark on an exciting career as a film director. I hope you enjoy the following episode of Unfortunate Oxfordians. Okay, so welcome to another edition of Unfortunate Oxfordians. I'm with uh, someone who's the same age as me, but I'd say went to rival schools. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> went to rival schools. <laughs> um, for, the, for the people listening, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, so my name's Howney, Howney Barros de Silva, um, and I'm a filmmaker. Nice. Yeah. Cool, so me filming now, you um, kind of yeah in the presence of someone who probably knows what they're doing better than I do <laughs> um, first of all obviously you I know you from being in Oxford and being somewhat raised in Oxford and going to a school which is literally the other side of a field to us um, but before we get into that I just wanted to take it back you already introduced yourself as Howney Borra Barosh de Silva which doesn't sound like a very English name where, where are you originally from? from? so I'm originally from Brazil um, Belém do Pará is a little town up north, well not little, but it's a town up north next to the Amazon in Brazil. And I moved down to Oxford, so I've lived in Oxford ever since I moved out, since I was seven years old. Wow. And I've just been here, apart from going to university and leaving for a while and then coming back. Yeah, I've been in the UK, mainly based in Oxford since I was seven. It might be early to remember, but did you feel a bit of a culture shock being a seven-year-old coming to a new country? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Like, they said, oh, you're going to go to England. I was thinking, what the hell is England? Yeah. Like, as a seven-year-old kid, I'm like, what the hell is England? And what it sold me on the idea was they said, oh, have you heard of King Arthur? King Arthur and the Sword and the Stone, because we had them, like, fairy tales back in Brazil as okay, well. Okay, yeah. With uh, kings and queens. Mm-hmm. And so I said, so they have castles, they have knights, they have horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm down, I want to go to England, check it out. But I thought I was only going to be here for like, I don't know, a week. 
Yeah, yeah. And since when a week passed, I was like, yeah, it's a bit cold now. Can we go back? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. What's going on? And then I realized, nah, we're here for the long run. Wow. So if you don't mind me asking, what was like the situation? Did your family just emigrate for prospects or what was it? So um, my mum was part of a political party in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And uh, my stepdad, who was a filmmaker for Channel 4, um, he was a cameraman. He came down to do a documentary on the political um, political movement in Brazil, especially in my hometown, because um, something big was happening at the time. I'm quite, not quite sure what. Um, and they met through that. So she was part of the political party. He was filming the political party. Wow. And they got together. Um, my mom got married. She came over here first. And then we, me and my sister followed. Wow, I, I never knew this about you. Yeah, not many people and did. You, what's really interesting about that is, it, I guess when we get into it, it's all going to come back round because like, you're in filmmaking yourself. Yeah, that's right. Um, so going back to like that period where you first came to England, you're settling in now, you're starting to become British, so to speak. Um, growing up in Oxford, what was it like as someone who's clearly Brazilian or clearly not white British? in a very white British place, what was that like for you? To be fair, because um, obviously coming to England, like I saw a lot more um, Caucasian people than I was have seen in Brazil. Yeah. But to me as a kid, like it didn't matter anything. Mm-hmm. It only became a factor of like skin color when I think maybe got into around year eight, year mm-hmm. seven, year eight is when we started being exposed to uh, different things that were happening in the world, we became to understand a bit, be a bit more conscious about why people are affected through certain, through certain means. But even mm-hmm. then, I didn't know in depth of what it was about. Yeah, yeah. I just knew that, right, okay, certain people are, because they're from certain parts of the world, they're a different skin color, they're a different culture. Yeah. But it wasn't until I was maybe in my early teens, very early teens, that I began to realize that. Wow. So, uh, I think we were quite lucky in that respect because we went to a, very multicultural schools. I think oh, we went to middle school together as well. Yeah, we did. Temple <laughs> yeah, County did. Middle School. Um, so I guess that kind of softens the blow of like kind of the culture shock in particular. You had friends like Ashabel, who claims to this day that he taught you how to speak English. No, 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 no. Is no. it the other I, way around? I taught him how to speak English. That's right. He told me he taught you. <laughs> so I guess it's, it's somewhat comforting. And this is kind of we'll get into this a bit more later but this is something that I think people often um, misinterpret about Oxford they kind of don't acknowledge its multiculturalness we were Mm. saying just off air that it's the like other than Reading I think it's the most multicultural place in the southeast Um, so you're growing up now year eight nine ten you're very much I know know this firsthand because I knew you you're very much kind of embracing your surroundings your popular you kind of getting an idea of what you want to do with life. Um, I'm going to fast forward quite a bit here. You get to the point where you're like becoming an adult. You're 16, 17, 18. Right. Those are wild times, man. <laughs> wild times. <laughs> wild times. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about, because we're the same age. Around that time, I'm not sure if it's the same for you, but I went through a bit of a, I guess I call it a bit of an identity crisis. Um, just because I'm getting to this age now where I'm starting to, acknowledge what I really like because I think before that I'm kind of liking what I'm being told to like I'm looking at the TV and seeing people who look like me i.e. people who are black and seeing what they're doing and thinking ah that must be what I'm supposed to do but then I get to an age where I'm like oh but I like this but the people who do this 
don't look like me so am I not supposed to be into this did you experience anything like that yourself yeah yeah definitely I think um through the beginning ages especially around year seven year eight mm-hmm. um even when I was maybe got to about 13 14 um I used to hang around with a, a group of people which I'm still very good friends with now um but we went through the phase of oh you know we were riding skateboards through town we were chilling in big up yeah, yeah. <laughs> chilling through um, like summer holidays we spend at school playgrounds just relaxing you know mm. on the skateboards listening to music um, and it wasn't until like I started playing basketball I think is when I really began to find myself so I used to I used to have a big afro and then um, at one point I thought I want to straighten my hair because I want to fit in with everybody else Bruh. and it was like uh, people were just like, oh, you're you're crazy, what? I don't remember you straight hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to see, that's I try to fade that bit out <laughs> of my life. It? So, um, so I used to have a big afro. So I, used to, I straightened it, mm. and I dyed it red, and I dyed it black. Wow. And then it wasn't until I was like, yeah, I'm fed up with this now. Is when I began to start playing basketball, and as I really began to find myself in the things that I like to do, mm-hmm. and then yeah, it went from one extreme to the other because I was being labelled as a skate bum back in back yeah. when we were growing up there was the whole well it was funny at school there was like yeah, you're, you're a you're skater a, or you're a townie that's, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> one, yeah. one or the other and the townies were represented as like the cool kids yeah and the skate bum the skaters were like represented as the geeks yeah yeah and so I was in that in that group of people and then I kind of shifted to I wouldn't really necessarily say a townie but to this. you're a little bit of a I grew Ebo, up. Did you go? Yeah, that yeah, far, yeah. I went yeah. through that phase. <laughs> yeah. That's why I had the hair straight to the side. Yeah, yeah. Covering one eye, I couldn't see. I used to my hair <laughs> yeah. It was madness. Yeah, it's so interesting that because I think that's that's really significant. So many kids like at school, you have to fit into a certain category, and that's why I kind of go back to you don't really make your mind up as to what you like. You kind of see what you're supposed to be into, and just go for that. Yeah, that's right. So. I remember around this time as well, or maybe a little bit later, you got into DJing, which I found quite interesting because I've always known you as being someone who's like, you know, has a a need. Like we did over at our school. I felt like we had two similar like friendship groups, but at different schools. So I was over here with the twins and the waist and that, and we were dancing and rapping and all of that. And then you guys are over there and you're dancing and making films and playing sport and that. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just trying to reminisce if I'm completely honest. (laughs) But yeah, around that time, I remember uh, you got into DJing. I'm just interested as to like what music you were playing. Right. Okay. So, because <laughs> I think that what music you're playing is very telling of like, yeah, who I am now, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so, so this was. Oh, okay. So it must have been when I was around 18 years old. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends, Rodney, he was working in a DJ shop. Um, no, okay. an equipment store actually they sold they sold um, equipment for like gigs and whatnot. which one was this was it the Rodney one? but uh, which was the store it was um, Dave was it? Seamers oh ah, yeah, 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 yeah I borrowed some stuff there yeah, before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and he used to work there and he mm. was getting into DJing and so he brought over some equipment mm. and he said to me and my other friend Tony is like yo do you guys want to learn how to DJ and I yeah. was like yeah what that's that's the, like, the coolest things like yeah, yeah, yeah. DJ like cool so we learned um, and then he had connections with 
a place called Bubbly Bar, which is Nomads now, or yeah. Norman's Nomads. It had the best shisha there. We used to go there before we went to like first yeah, or yeah. whatever. And so like they needed a spot for a DJ. So Rodney signed up and he managed to get it. They yeah. liked his mix and then he brought yeah. us over. And at the time what we were listening to was Bashment, old school hip hop. Yeah. And Afrobeats was slowly creeping its way in. Yeah, yeah. So we were playing like the old school Whisk Kids. Yeah. Um, Sitting in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All of that, yeah. Dodgy and Gabbana, <laughs> that's right. And then uh, the old school Bashments like Turn Me On by Kevin Little. Mm-hmm. That's a banger. That's a classic. Um, Queen of Dance Hall. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Hold You by Egyptian. Yeah, yeah. I just started blowing up at that time as well. So that yeah. was another certified banger. Yeah. Um, yes. And then from that. It's just kind of like I fell in love with music. I fell in love with... I was already in love with hip-hop. Yeah. But then this kind of like expanded me to listen to some more Afrobeats, reggaeton, um, bashment, you know, some more reggae. Yeah. And like things which a few years ago I'd have been like, oh, I don't want to listen to this type of music because it's not. it doesn't fit my identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas now it's like I'll listen to all types of music and it's just really expanded yeah, yeah. Um, what I like to listen to. It's really interesting you've mentioned all those genres because I feel like the majority of us who were like our age growing up was just listening to that. It was just it was just the thing. It was just like I was DJing over here, Lewis was DJing over there, and we were all just playing that bashment hip hop. Guess you call it R and B, but it was going through a funny yeah. phase. Yeah, I went for the gr- even the UK funky was jumping at that time as well. So of everyone, course, yeah, everyone was, and that's when the UK music really started to like begin to get a kick yeah, yeah. I'd say because obviously you had the garage and garage was popular but it was popular to the generation before us yeah 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 and it wasn't until so we kind like, of grew up listening to it we never raved to yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah and then it's only when you start again people doing the skanks yep and the skanks challenge yeah yeah and then UK Funky started blowing up and you're thinking okay Crazy Cousins came in you know um uh, what's the migraines man skank the gracious K gracious K yeah. yeah their man came through and then yeah and it just kind of like grew from there what's really interesting is uh, obviously I live in London now and I've acknowledged that like all these are kind of new trends that happen in London Oxford seems to catch on to just a couple years late and I guess in hindsight I didn't realise at the time because it was all new to me but we were like maybe not a couple of years but we were a little bit late to the party with a lot of stuff that's happening in London. Yeah. But ultimately, we were following the trends of London. So, I mean, we'll get into this a bit more later, but this is why I find it so ironic that, for example, I go to London and I say I'm from Oxford and they're like, they look at me really funny, like, but you can't be because you seem so London. Mm. And I have to tell them, well, we are just maybe a little bit later <laughs> or a little bit less cool and aware and stuff. Um, so after that, I guess around this time, you're going clubbing, you're DJing, you're playing basketball, girls and that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it comes with a profile, isn't it? So like, yeah. right, cool. I'm, I'm a DJ mm-hmm. who plays basketball. And bear in mind at the time as well, like if you were light skin, you're like, <laughs> like this is no word of a lie, but like if you were light skin, like girls used to love it. Yeah. So like, cool. I'm light skin from Brazil. I play basketball and I'm a DJ. You're a catch man. Oh, that's why I used to think it. Now. That's <laughs> um, so around this time as well, you're still in school. Do you do sixth form or did you do the college yeah, thing? Yeah, no, I did sixth form. And what were you studying at sixth form? Um, so I took 
Oh dear. Music technology. And then uh, you did music tech. Yeah, yeah. I had a music tech. Sick. Music tech, um, fine art, media studies, film studies, and performance studies. So I took five five A levels. So you were on a very clear trajectory yeah, into yeah. that kind of industry of yeah. media. I, I just I just knew I never I didn't want to do anything that involved academic work. because yeah, yeah. It was long. It was stress. <laughs> Mad. And I'm guessing your stepdad as well maybe had a subtle influence on that kind of media. Yeah, from the get go. Like yeah. I think in 2005 he gave me my first camera recorder. Yeah. And I used to treasure that thing. I used to have a big long belt. But I had filled with batteries on it. Wow. And they always used to link up to the camera and a bunch of wires coming out the back of my backpack. Nice. And I was just holding the camera and yeah, I used yeah. to go around filming my friends, doing skateboard tricks. Yeah, yeah. You know, go to the park, shoot some hoops with it, play basketball, mm-hmm. film some people. So yeah, and then from then I was like, okay, cool. My camera's broken. I need a new camera. Yeah, yeah. Cool, my camera. I don't like this camera anymore. I need a new camera. Yeah. And it kind of just went up from there. Yeah, yeah. I do remember actually vividly you sending for us. We were over at Oxford School and you made a video of you being under the sea. <laughs> I vividly remember. I hope I can find it. But you were like under the sea, just saying, yeah, what? I'm under the sea. <laughs> Started shouting out man's name. You're like, yeah, away, Silas, what? <laughs> that was legendary, man. Because you know what? Deep down, I remember talking to the twins about it and saying, how he's a sick guy, you know? <laughs> like, because at the time we wanted to do like video stuff but we weren't we weren't doing media studies at school I don't think our school had that facility if I'm completely honest yeah I think we were quite lucky actually that we mm. had we had that kind of stuff ready for us mm. was, the thing is with that video yeah it was it was like un uh what is it unprovoked we're friends bro no but to be fair Raymond sent for us a lot yeah, Raymond and I. Uh, I, loves think I, I think I just wanted to jump on the wave. That's what <laughs> <Yeah>. it was. <laughs> but no, I think in hindsight, we were we were friends. It was friendly banter. Yeah. But so around this time, going back to the kind of education thing, you're clearly on this trajectory to do something within the media industry, at least at this point. Um, am I right in thinking you went to, I might be completely wrong here, but I feel you went to the uni of Bournemouth? I did my master's in Bournemouth. I went, okay. My undergrad, I done in Leeds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Live, I've heard lots about Leeds. You know, I, I don't actually think I've been, but Leeds is amazing. It's, I mean, it has a lot of um, uh, bad stigma. Everyone mm-hmm. says, like, oh, Leeds is a really rough city, it's a bad city, and it can be like any other city, really. It's got its bad parts, but to me, my three years in Leeds were probably one of the best times of my life, and that was wow. just my university experience there it was great. What was it like as someone from Oxford suddenly being around loads of people who are from all parts of the UK, maybe even all parts of the world and trying to, you know, how do people respond to you saying, oh, yeah, I'm from Oxford? Man, that was a complete, it really popped my bubble. Really? Yeah, because I used to, when I went to Leeds, like I had no idea like who I was going to be, yeah. whatever, what the experience was going to be like. And I just met so many different people from all different backgrounds, all yeah. different ages, different colors, different skin tones, every culture. And I just found out from the get-go that everyone's completely different to what I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. And when they asked me, it's like, oh, where are you from? I used to say, oh, I'm from Brazil, right? So Interesting. I, so I yeah. used to say, oh, I'm from Brazil. Because I was surrounded by people saying, oh, I'm from, I'm from this and I'm from that, I'm from this and from that. So where are you from? I'm from Brazil. Oh, when did you move over? when I was seven. Oh, okay. So where did you live before, um, after you from Brazil? Oh, Oxford. Oxford. 
Yeah. Where is that? Is that in London? No, 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 it's not London. It's like, so where is it? It's like, you know the university, you know Harry Potter? Yeah. And they were like, oh, Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it used to be like that stigma. So if people didn't know, like, people from outside, if they didn't know where Oxford was, they were associated with London because mm-hmm. uh, they have Oxford Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then people who did know about Oxford, which a lot of people should do. Yeah. <laughs> They'll say, that, oh, so you're really clever, you're really smart. But you sound like you're from London. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not really smart. I'm not really clever. I'm just I'm in the same university as you." I mean, you I are just, smart. Don't don't knock I was yourself. just, <laughs> I was just grew up in Oxford. Because mm-hmm. I think that, I think everyone thinks as soon as you say you're from Oxford, you're automatically smart. Yeah. And that's not yeah, the case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because I had a, a similar experience in regards to kind of being around so many people and it popped my bubble, so to speak. Because if you remember just before I left Oxford, I was, you know, a selector, I was making music. I thought I was the guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. thought I was just Nang. So <laughs> I went to uni. <laughs> I went to uni still thinking I'm the guy and I'm surrounded by other guys. Mm. And I had to like reconfigure and readdress if I am the guy or not. And I think it like humbled me and like, the most necessary way. I mm. needed that humbling. I needed yeah. to kind of step back and kind of work out who I am and what I like. And also that kind of challenge in, it, it affected me constantly being told you're from Oxford, so you're supposed to behave like this. Cause it made me second guess and think, maybe I'm supposed to behave like this. Maybe I should stop using slang because maybe I'm pretending as an Oxfordian, but trying to use this slang. I don't know if it was this, the same for you. Did you feel to stop sounding London? Um. <laughs> I think it only really, I think uh, whenever someone asked me really that question, when, like, where are you from? And I had to explain that I'm from Oxford. I think that's when I, I kind of took a step back. But actually, I emphasised every single letter of the word Oxford. So whenever, wow, yeah. like, I would, I, would, I would go and I'll speak it like how I normally speak it. And someone said, oh, you're from? And I would just turn around and I quickly stop what I was doing. I was like, I'm from Oxford. <laughs> okay. I don't know why mm. it just came out like that um, and I think that kind of goes back to like yeah you have to sound a certain way mm. but when that's not really the case I just think I just, I just like saying it yeah yeah I, I just think it, it sounds nice when I were well, you proud it. yeah yeah definitely okay. I think I mean going to Leeds it really made me miss coming back to Oxford so every time I get a chance I went back to Oxford just because I love the city and it was like all of my memories were made here. Mm. Even when people ask me now, oh, would you ever go back to Brazil? Never. No chance in hell would I ever go back to Brazil. Not to live. To have a holiday, yes, and visit family. But to live, no way. Because just the living quality in Brazil is it's worlds apart from being in the UK, and especially being from Oxford. And I just love the sea. I love the architecture here. And I loved all the memories that I had when I was growing up. Mm. So saying proud to be from Oxford is a bit of an understatement so I love it here so is it safe to say you feel most comfortable here yeah so well I mean that answers my next question I was going to say <laughs> how displaced is the comfort you feel here to the comfort you may feel in Brazil oh it's yes yeah, I mean it's a different type of love mm. so obviously in Brazil I have a lot of nostalgia mm-hmm. from when I was a, a child and I still have all my friends over there. We we haven't stopped communicating. 
thank you to WhatsApp and social media. Yeah. We was able to keep contact with each other. And of course, my family is there. There's always going to be love for my family in Brazil. Um, my mom's always speaking to my grandmother. We always, uh, maybe I'm going to the kitchen. Yeah. And then they're on FaceTime. I was like, oh, hey, Gran, love you. Yeah. Hey, auntie, love you. Hey, cousin, love you. How are you doing? So there's always going to be love there and there's always going to be memories there. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And going back to what your identity, the identity crisis. Yeah. When I go to Brazil, they say, oh, it's the English guy. Yeah. But when I'm in the UK, oh, it's the Brazilian guy. Mad, so yeah. where do I fit in the middle? Where, mm-hmm. where, where do I fit? Yeah, and yeah. it's like in, in Brazil, where I'm from, I'm known as the, a British, a Brit. And here I live, where I've grown up most of my life, I'm known as a Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, you know, what am I? <laughs> if Brazil play England. Brazil. Brazil. I know the question is going to be. <laughs> Why is that? Because you know what? I'm the same. If, if say, Jamaica was to play. I've, I wasn't even born in Jamaica. I like my grandparents are from there. That's it. But if Jamaica play England in any sporting event, I'm sporting Jamaica. Why, why do we do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I just I love the country. I love. I think it's just because I have such a strong connection with Brazil. Mm-hmm. And to deny Brazil in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. would be like, right, so I'm denying who I am in my core. Yeah. Yeah. So any opportunity I get to support Brazil, 100%. Would you say, um, how can I word this? Do you enjoy being known as like the English guy in Brazil and being the Brazilian guy in England? Do you like that idea of being like having that unique quality? I don't enjoy it in Brazil. Okay. I enjoy it in the UK. Why is it different? Um, I feel like because I moved away, you know, I was kind of like pulled out of like this world that I was so used to. I was kind of pulled out from it. Mm-hmm. I feel like now I'm not rejected, but in a sense, like mm-hmm. they reject me. Not like, okay, no, they don't reject me, but it's like they know that I'm Brazilian. They know that I was, that I was born there, but my culture has changed. Yeah. And they identify me with, the, with a Brit. Yeah. When deep inside, no, I'm Brazilian. So, like, I want to be associated as a Brazilian. I see, yeah, yeah. Even then, by my own people saying, it's like, no, you're from the UK now, you're a Brit. Mm. It's like, it's not, it's a little bit heartbreaking, but it's one of the things that you have to, like, deal with. Life moves on. But when people say in the UK, it's like, oh, it's Brazilian, it's like, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Well, I don't know what it's like exactly where you're from in Brazil. Um, but I wonder if, um, well, is it a multicultural place? Oh yeah, 100%. the part where you're from. So yeah. it's not just Brazilians around your hometown. Are there like, I don't know, Africans, oh, um, Americans? Yeah, there are. So okay, I mean, when you say multicultural, I'm thinking there are so many different races in Brazil, but they're all Brazilians. I see. Yeah. So like, you get. Japanese Brazilians, which yeah. is crazy. There's so many Japanese Brazilians in Brazil. Um, Asian, uh, like Indian Brazilians. Uh, yeah. People from whose heritage are from Pakistan. Then you got Australians. Mm-hmm. And then when sometimes I do see an American and they're speaking English. Yeah. I'm like, oh, 
hey yeah yeah <laughs> i don't say it but i think in my head yeah yeah that's a, yeah so like there's it's a very it's very multicultural but when i do hear someone speaking in english i'm kind of like taken back a little bit mm. and i was like oh what are you doing here yeah yeah but i'm thinking well they're probably here doing the same thing i'm doing well i think the reason i asked that is because like growing up say here in oxford which is a multicultural place because so many people are from like different kind of ethnic backgrounds we kind of create this this new community of people who are different and it's kind of weird how we like for example i grew up i hung out a lot with say john gahari who's iranian Sahelan Zahebu, a Pakistani, a Waisu, Somalian, and none of us are from the same background, mm. but we formed a group of like outsiders which became its own community in a, in a respect. And that's why it's kind of, it's sometimes almost comforting to be known as the ethnically different guy, because yeah. I'm actually in a big community of ethnically different people. Yeah. And I wonder, the reason why I ask that question is, maybe in Brazil, there isn't so much of a community of the ethnically different people if that makes sense no that's not that those that is foreign over there yeah like because everyone is just it's a very warm when i say warm i don't mean like hot temperature mm. but like i mean like um the way people are inside they're very friendly they're very mm. caring so like regardless of you know we have white brazilians and we have black brazilians mm -hmm. in my hometown personally um racism is so much of an issue as maybe southern brazil Okay. So like we all combine together and it's like, rah, we're just Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like when, when I came to England, people say, oh, so where are you? Are you black or are you white? I'm Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I, when going back to, that's when I first began to understand, mm. okay, so if you're a certain color, you do this. And if you're a certain color, you're recognized as that. Yeah, yeah. But to me, it was like... I'm brown, man. I'm like I'm like a light tan brown. I'm yeah, yeah. from Brazil. Like, what do you yeah, want me yeah. to say? Um, yeah. So then, when I came to England, it's like I I try to fit in with. Oh, sorry, carry on. Sorry. Um, so I try to fit in with like what I thought was the typical English person, mm -hmm. and so that's when I started doing all this stuff with my hair and yeah. whatnot. And then that's when I realized that right, a few years down the line, I realized like, I gotta stop doing this. I just yeah. gotta be me and really gotta find myself. And then that's when I became like kind of becoming friends with people who are the same as me. Yeah. And they're from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful. Yeah, it yeah. It was generally, it was such a, a breath of fresh air because I can now relate to them. Yeah. I used to speak to, to my, my friend Raymond. Yeah. And he said, oh, I'm from Zambia. I was like, where the hell is Zambia? Yeah, yeah. And I said, I was in Africa. And yeah. obviously, I was a bit ignorant back then. Africa. There's countries in Africa. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, I didn't... Because being from Brazil, I, people could say to me, oh, I'm from, I don't know, Venezuela. Mm -hmm. That's South America. Yeah. Right? And then that's when I began to realize, okay, so no, Africa is not a country. I've been lied to my whole childhood. Africa is a continent. Yeah. Which I kind of knew. But it was kind of one of those things that was in the back of my head. Yeah, yeah. And then he used to tell me, oh, we used to do this thing, this in Zambia. And I was like, oh, rah, swear down. We used to do this in Brazil as well. Yeah, yeah. And what we're talking about is like kind of like a, a third world country um, kind of uh, similarities that they have. Yeah, yeah. For example, if we, we didn't have technology, we'd go outside, we'd play football. We didn't have a ball. We'll get some newspapers. We'll 
put it all together. We'll yeah, grab yeah. a couple of bags for time round. Yeah. We had a we had a we had a ball. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it was like, right, I thought we only did this in Brazil. But yeah. nah, it happens everywhere around the world. Would you say you're a... It's funny, I'm actually reading this. I'm going to show it to the camera. I'm reading this book at the moment called Third Culture Kids. Are you familiar with the term? Yeah. Would you say you are a third culture kid? Yes. That's really interesting. It's really... It's, it's particularly interesting because in some respects, I feel we have similarities in terms of our families kind of belong to different cultures. But I guess for you, I, I wouldn't consider myself a third culture kid. I'm third generation. But I definitely acknowledge that I'm more British at oh, home right. and at school and in my community. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, I understand. Would you say your home life growing up was maybe somewhat culturally, not different, but had different traditions and stuff than your, say, school life? Um, fair, now, that, now that you've said that, yeah, probably third generation thinking about it because what my mum had to do, she had, because it was just my mum, mm-hmm. my sister that came over and we had to adapt to the culture here in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And so when I speak to my mom, I speak to her in Portuguese. When I speak to my sister, I speak to her in English. Okay, yeah. I don't know why, but it's just just because I was so used to speaking to English with my friends at school. Yeah, yeah. And when my mom's English wasn't so good, I would speak to her in Portuguese. But my sister was on the same wavelength as me. Yeah, of course. We used to speak with her in English. And I think that's kind of affected our culture growing up at home. So it was a bit of a divide. Yeah, yeah. And it will go into the whole um, types of... I'm mixing my Portuguese with my English. Yeah. So I'm saying one word in, in English, the other words I'm mixing up in Portuguese. I see. Not even to be funny or anything. It was just it was just happening randomly. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like how um, maybe someone from India will say something, they're speaking English, speaking English. Yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, it switches. And you're yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, I understand. I'm there thinking, I understand two words of that, but yeah, that yeah. wasn't fully my language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like that. And also because because we were so new to the UK, um, we didn't have many Brazilian friends. Mm-hmm. So we had to do everything the British way. Yeah. And we had to eat what the British ate because we didn't know where to get the supplies to make our own food. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had we didn't know where to get this type of meat from because we didn't know the markets. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, rah, just go to Tesco's, get some chicken, get some beef. Yeah. We can make rice, cool rice and chicken. Yeah. Rice yeah. and beef. And that was it. But then it was like, okay, cool. Got fish and chips. We'll have that. We'll have kidney pie, kidney pies, kidney steak pies. Yeah, steak kidney pie. pie. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we'll have that. And then slowly it became this would become a not an everyday thing but a regular occurrence yeah yeah so that kind of affected on my culture at home because mm-hmm. i was being um i was being processed into a, a british culture yeah yeah that i wasn't used to when i first came, came yeah, to yeah. the uk that's really interesting i want to um fast forward because we started talking about your kind of university experience um and one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you on the podcast is because I think you're very talented and I think I'm quite excited by all the things that you've got coming Thank up. You. And so I want to hear how that was kind of shaped and harnessed your kind of media skill and talent. And also, if you could kind of filter into that, what, uh, how much your identity encouraged and shaped your ability and skills. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so, 
I think I obviously I picked it up very from a very young age. My stepdad was a, a camera operator of Channel Four, mm-hmm. so it was always like my media background was always there. I was constantly watching him edit stuff. Yeah, and I was just like look over his shoulder, be like, oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? What's yeah, this? yeah. What's that? What's this? What's that? And it was the house was filled of equipment that I had no idea what it was at the time. It was just junk to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I went to uni, I realized I wanted to be a, I want to do some form of media yeah. from sixth form, from doing media studies, film studies. Mm-hmm. And when I got to university, at first I wanted to do a, I wanted to be a trailer editor, an editor essentially. Okay, yeah. So I began doing that and I realized actually I quite really enjoy being behind the camera yeah. and doing my own work. And then I began making like uh, interviews yeah. Documentaries, editing all myself, and I began to learn the tricks of the trade a little bit more. This is actually what I'm trying to do right now. Yeah, I began I learning learn a lot like so much, like <laughs> yeah. all the editing. I learned different software. Mm-hmm. I learned how to use Photoshop, Adobe After Effects, Final Cut Pro, mm-hmm. um, all the other Adobe uh, Cloud stuff, Creative Cloud. Yeah. So I learned how to use all of that, and I was thinking, uh, as much as I love being behind a computer and editing. I want to be out there in the front lines, yeah. like either holding a camera yeah. or directing. And that's what really like became, okay, I want to be a director. Wow. Like that's how I want to be a filmmaker, but specifically I want to be a director. I want to be able to direct people on how I want them to uh, produce my vision. Yeah. So I've got something in my head. Okay, cool. I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And seeing it all come alive, or in the edit room is one of the best things yeah, yeah. I get to witness. And that was all, I'm guessing, throughout your university experience, you're kind of acknowledging your love for, say, cinematography yeah. and directing and stuff like that. Definitely. This was all during your time in Leeds. And then following that, am I right in thinking, did you go straight on to a master's or? No, no, no. So um, I went traveling. I went, as everyone does. Well, not everyone. But I wish I did. I just did a little I just tour. That was it. <laughs> To be honest, I was offered a job at Sky Sports, um, but they wanted me to commit to a five-year contract. And wow. I was, I thought that once I do this, that's it, I'm not gonna, I'm stuck in that kind of role forever yeah. as being like a sports, you know, doing sports coverage. Yeah. Of like, which a lot of my friends that from Leeds are now doing. Yeah. And that's not something I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted, my end game was to be in film. Yeah. And so I, I declined on that and decided to go travel. I wanted to get a bit more idea of the world and what people go through. Mm-hmm. And I did. I took my camera with me and I got some amazing shots of all the different countries I went to. Wait, hold up. Before we get into that, because I think it seems like there's a very clear reason as to why you wanted to travel the world and maybe some of your colleagues didn't want to and were more willing to take the job. Do you think being somewhat a third culture kid factored into the fact that you want to travel a bit more yeah 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 yeah. because i'm coming from Mm. so i'm coming from the other side of the world essentially from brazil to to the uk and my mom used to like to travel a lot yeah and i think i kind of picked it up from her yeah yeah and it was one of those things that was always talked about in my childhood Mm -hmm. my mom would say oh i went to this place and i went to this place i went to that place i went to that place yeah and i kind of fell in love with the idea of just going out and traveling and as soon as I left university, I thought, I don't want to be tied down in a job. That's not my end result. That's yeah, not my yeah. end game. 
And so just why I decided to take a break. And then I went off to see the world. Where did you go then? I went to Indonesia. Oh, I started off in Thailand, Southeast Asia, essentially. So Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. Um, and then I ended back up in Brazil for the last month of my travel. Does Brazil count as traveling for you? No, not really. <laughs> no, I just, it's just see family. It's yeah, a holiday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely just a holiday. And it might be a quite big question, but what did you learn during this travel experience about yourself and maybe about what you want to do? Um, about what I wanted, well, first of all, about myself is that I learned to be a lot more acceptable mm. and to others and their circumstances. Yeah. And it just opened up my eyes to see how other people are living. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, I think one of the best things I learned out there is when I went to Vietnam, I had this idea in my head mm-hmm. that Vietnam was a war-ridden place, yeah. living in prov- poverty, and it, that it wasn't very nice. Yeah. And to be fair, one of the very first experiences of me jumping into Vietnam was they wouldn't let me in. And I was wearing uh, camouflage trousers. And I, I was see. like, yo, what's going on? Why didn't they let me in? Bearing in mind, I also had a big beard at the time. Yeah. All right. Um, and they wouldn't let me in. I think I was held up in customs for about an hour. And someone finally came over that knew how to speak English. And I asked them, oh, what's going on? Um, and they said, they don't want to let you into the country. I asked why. They said, oh, they think you might be a potential Al-Qaeda terrorist. Wow. And I was, I literally, I laughed for like a split second before I realized, it's not that funny. It's not that funny. (laughs) It's not funny at all. And I realized, no, I'm not a a terrorist. I'm not here. I'm only here to sightsee. And I kind of had to pull out evidence that I wasn't. Yeah. One of the first things I pulled out was like uh, a rosemary, like a cross. It was like, which has no relation to me if I was a terrorist or not. Um, but it's like, I'm, I'm Christian. And I started going through Facebook posts. It's like, look, wow. I live in Oxford. I'm from this. Yeah. I don't normally have it. So it was like, a, they, they thought I fit into this te- stereotype. Yeah. Because uh, already um, their history is a lot of war. They felt that I fell into a stereotype. Yeah. So I kind of had to like say, no, that's not me. That's mental. Uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of mad. And uh, one of the best things I took from that, past being in Vietnam, eventually they did let me in, of course. Yeah. And there was a question that I had in my head was, oh, how do uh, the Vietnamese uh, feel towards the Americans? Because there was a lot of bad things that happened over there. And I was, I was visiting the, the, war, the war museums mm-hmm. and the histories. I learned a lot about them. And I felt like I built up a perception of anger towards Americans at that point yeah. for what it did to the Vietnamese. Yeah. And I was on a tour bus and they were taking us to the mines where the Vietnamese would like go through to escape the bombs. And someone asked the tour guide, oh, would you have any resentment towards the Americans? Or what do you feel about um, the people who did this to your country? Yeah. And his response was single-handedly the best thing I had heard my whole trip. And it was, you know, when the best way to forgive hatred is with love. And so when, when someone does something that's dishonest or out of anger or out of hatred towards you, the only thing you can do is kind of like turn the other cheek. Yeah. You know what I mean? And wow. I, he went into more into depth about it, uh, a little bit more detail, but that was what I can remember for that. It's like, right, you just have to love everyone regardless of where you're from. 
mm. what course you have anything done to you in the past is like live and f- uh, love and forget yeah yeah almost in a sense so that was really nice I'm guessing you've taken that as like a, a motto for life oh yeah somewhat yeah definitely that's amazing man I'm, I'm so envious because you know I obviously love to explore culture and identity and stuff like that I'm even reading a book about third culture kids but um, I haven't really travelled man oh man definitely go out there go see the world it's one of the best things I say to people is just see how other people are living it's so interesting you said like you rejected the Sky Sports opportunity because I went down like a media kind of base life, music technology, etc. And I was just so desperate to get a job at the BBC as soon as I graduate. Mm-hmm. It didn't come as soon as I graduate. I had to like hustle a little bit. But my idea is that work is going to take me across the world. That's kind of my plan. And okay. I'm kind of going to like travel the world and make, I don't know, podcasts and documentaries, etc., etc. But meeting people not meeting but like knowing people like you who have done it slightly differently and kind of travelled beforehand I'm kind of questioning myself if I've made a mistake or not nah everyone's different so like the people who you've met Mm -hmm. in your journey Mm -hmm. will be completely different to what I've met and everyone's got something to offer to the table in terms of networking even now I'm a filmmaker but I'm also working in a bar part time Yeah, and the connections I've made in this bar alone who have helped me in the four months that I've been working there, yeah, is uh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because I talk, I just talk. When I talk to people, I like to talk about what they do. Yeah. They ask me questions. I talk, and then some of them, one of them, turns around and say, "Oh, I know this person who needs this." I was like, "I can help." There you go. Yeah. And then just networking, like everyone's gonna meet someone, someone different. I want to kind of go back to you did a masters. Yeah after you traveled i want to know if you kind of were already planning to do that masters at uni or during your travels did it become um well i knew i wanted to do a masters Mm -hmm. in film production what i didn't know at the time was whether i wanted to do cinematography yeah or if i wanted to do directing yeah yeah and when i was looking at the at the courses option for bournemouth because bournemouth was already one of my choices even in my undergrad yeah for like the same reasons um, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Bournemouth this time and I'm going to see what they have to offer. And one of the courses was cinematography and yeah. directing. Perfect. Yeah, perfect, pretty yeah. much. Um, and what I saw that the directors worked a lot with everyone from the creative courses, the faculty. Mm-hmm. So we worked a lot of the cinematographers, the makeup designers, the producers, the sound designers, um, editors. And it was kind of like a big hub. Mm-hmm. of creative individuals that just want to do film production. Sweet. And I thought, at first I thought, what can I have the most fun with? Yeah. And I generally thought that was directing. So mm-hmm. I became a director. Amazing. And what does it, because I haven't done a master's, what exactly does it entail? Um, it's under the impression it's like a glorified dissertation. I didn't do a dissertation. Okay. I did not do a dissertation. <laughs> um, I had to make a film instead, so um, which is the one of the perks of being a creative, doing a creative course. Yeah, yeah. Is sometimes you don't have to do the academic stuff. Yeah. You can just you can show what you've learned. You can show off your talents and your skills. Um, but being a ma- doing a masters is still kind of going through and telling us about the industry, mm-hmm. teaching us how to speak to for directing anyway, or teaching us how film looks. Mm-hmm. You know what you should and shouldn't do which I kind of had already an idea of what it was mm-hmm. but it kind of like solidified 
and help me to cheat in a sense when making a film. Mm-hmm. So there's certain rules that you can't break unless you know the, unless you know the rules in and out. Yeah, and you know how to fool the fool the audience perspective of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And so it was like little little key, little small things like that. I think taught me a lot on how to make a good film and how to make people see oh, what looks good on a screen. And so in working with all of the cinematographers and all the editors, I learned a lot from them as well. They taught me, oh, if you do it this way, it works better when you come to edit. Mm-hmm. And they also taught me, like, oh, if you need to be able to speak to your actors and your cast above everything else, mm-hmm. you need to be a, a likable person. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which a lot, a lot of directors aren't. Although I don't know a lot of, I don't know many, a lot of them, I'm sure they are. But a lot of stigma that I get from people is that all the directors are just horrible people they just sit in a chair yeah. with their hats with a, a megaphone shouting, orders, shouting, yeah. <laughs> shouting cut and mm. stuff like shouting orders mm. but when the reality of it is you have to be quite likable and you kind of be able to engage with your not only the cast but the crew as well yep. and one of the first things I learned once I got to university to my masters is you are in charge of making sure that your crew is happy crew mm-hmm. and cast and that means you have to feed them You've had to provide transport for them. If yeah. they're cold, you have to give them, you know, coats. You yeah, have to yeah, do all that things alongside the producer, yeah. which I thought, oh man, I just want to, I just want to direct. Yeah, yeah. But there's so much other stuff that comes into into play that kind of just helps you grow as a people person because you're yeah. think you're not now thinking of yourself. You're thinking about what the cast is going through and what the crew is going through as well behind you. Mm. So it just you, you begin to think a lot, a lot more than just the creative process. I'm really interested as to why you came back to Oxford after your master's as opposed to say doing like I did and moving to London and not having any money for like two years and just hustling to try and get in the door. (laughs) You see that scared me a little bit so which was a bit surprising because I'm all up for new challenges and just going out Mm -hmm. but and my idea was the last four months of uni I was thinking, okay, I'm either going to stay in Bournemouth, mm-hmm. I'm going to move to London, or I'm going to go to Bristol. There's a, there's Bristol's a def- cool, man. Yeah, Bristol's Bristol. is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the three choices that I had in my head mm-hmm. of where I wanted to start my career. Yeah. And as time was approaching and deadline was coming, I had to move out of my house. I was like, okay, I haven't been able to find a job in London. Yeah. There's nothing really happening here in Bournemouth. Well, were you looking for a job in particular or were you looking to just be like a freelance No, I was, looking, I was looking for a job in particular. I wanted to be part of a production company. Okay. Just so I can go out there and just work like a nine to five under a creative atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't work out because everyone that works in a, a production company, they already have their team. Yeah. So unless someone leaves, mm. that's the only time they're going to look for someone. Yeah, yeah. And so I was desperately looking for a job, looking for this, looking for that. And then I realized there must, there is something out there, but I just can't find it. Yeah. And whilst I can't find it, I need to move back home because I can't afford rent. Yeah, yeah of course. So then I it's moved. Mad. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's mad. Boy, I was angry. <laughs> I was yeah. angry. And then I, that's when I began to question myself as a filmmaker. I was like, am I just not good enough? Then I realized, no, it's, it's got nothing to do with that. It's just the position that I want is not available to me right now. Mm-hmm. 
and sometimes you just have to create your own opportunities which is why like true vision media which is my my company which i'm starting up at the moment is my whole freelance and stuff where i'm going out mm-hmm. and i'm making my own my own content yeah yeah which will eventually lead to making content for others as well, which I'm working alongside others a lot. Yeah. But, you know, these are contents that I'm looking to make for myself. Yeah, yeah. And then when people see what I do, they're going to come, okay, cool, can you make something for this for yeah, me? Yeah. Which is I'm getting a few requests like that now, which is really, really empowering and encouraging, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I think on your social media, it might have been on Instagram or something, you put something about winning a, was it an Oscar or a BAFTA? Yeah. I remember seeing that and thinking, I have every faith he will. I genuinely do have every faith he will. And I know, I mean, I'm somewhat in the industry, the media industry, and I know how difficult it is, but I can definitely tell someone who is destined for great things against someone who is just coasting and it just knows the right people. And I definitely feel you're destined for great things. And it's echoed by the fact that you have such a unique background mm. as well. I think uh, just a lot, a lot of people just they're they're okay with just coasting, mm. which is a shame because you see someone who should be able to do everything that you can do but better. Yeah, and they don't. Yeah, and it just gets me so angry. And they're in a certain position. Yeah, and you're thinking, oh, if, like, I if I was in your position, in your position, like why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I just say, well, why? Mm. And that's the most infuriating answer. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, why? Well, because I'm not where you are. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of one of those things reflecting back because I could be doing more and you've been given this and whatever, man. <laughs> well, this is, this kind of, uh, I think, perfectly summarizes what being an unfortunate Oxfordian is because I've noticed the people I'm surrounded by now in the kind of radio industry, most of them are Londoners. Right. And most of them almost have a sense of entitlement and aren't as appreciative of where they are. And us being Oxfordian have almost had to like fight a little bit harder to get even just little things like moving to London and not having parents to, to fall back on and having yeah. to struggle and, you know, pay rent out of your overdraft and stuff to get to where you are. It just gives you that little bit more hunger. Um, and I think that's like, I guess it's, uh, I don't know, it's a bit of like an irony being an unfortunate Oxfordian because in a different way, I think it actually makes us quite fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. when we have to strive for something, like if there's something that's just out of our reach, we want to grab it more. Mm. It's, like, it's, like, it's like someone's dangling a carrot over your head. Yeah. And you're kind of chasing the carrot. Yeah, yeah. But they're on your back. So every step you take, they're moving with you. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's that never-ending chase of like, I want the carrot, but I can't get it. And we're never satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even when you do, it's like, okay, what's next? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I want a bigger carrot. Yeah, yeah. You get me? It sounds a bit, a bit so, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. bit pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, lastly, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, uh, could you shout out like where people can find you if people want some True yeah, Vision definitely. Media? So. Like I said, like I'm a filmmaker, I'm a director in specific, mm-hmm. um, but I also do a lot of uh, videography, cinematography, um, sound design and color correction and editing as well. And with my company at the moment, True Vision Media, F- True Vision Media, take two, <laughs> True Vision Features Okay, yeah. is the name of the company that I'm running at the moment, Cool. is a sh- 
It's a it's a videography company. Yeah. We specialize in promo videos for whoever needs them, whether you're a business, you're an individual, um, whatever you're trying to make out. Um, and we're also doing short films for festivals that yeah. will eventually lead up to feature films, hopefully. Sweet. And at the moment, we've got one film in the works, which is Lost in Faith. It was a film that I was working on last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to go to festivals this year. Uh, the ones that we're going to enter it in is Rain Dance and Sundance. Nice. Um, so they're pretty big festivals. Whether we get in, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're waiting for that to be finished. And you can find me on King Howney on Instagram. Flexing. Flexing. <laughs> and the videography company, the film company, is at True Vision Features nice. underscore. Nice. Thank you very much for doing no worries, this. Man. Thank you. Nice one, bro. Appreciate it. Sweet, man. Oh, that was a firm handshake as well. <laughs> <laughs>